Hello and welcome to the FA Cup final preview show. It's the Chronicles of Aguna and we're back. Hello, good evening to those of you joining us live and a big hello to everybody listening or watching this back later on. It's the FA Cup final preview show. It's the Chronicles of Aguna and I'm starting to get that nervous feeling. It's around about this point in the week, isn't it, where it really starts to kick in the nerves, um, the anxiety, the stress of it all. Um, it's a, It's a feeling that Actually, I never thought I'd feel this season, given the way things have gone for Arsenal. It's been a real, real struggle. Um, you know, we had managers being sacked. We had uh, disappointing result after disappointing result. We had times where we felt that we maybe looked as though we turned the corner. But in actual fact, we hadn't because we ended up back where we were um, in the first place. So lots and lots um, to think about ahead of this FA Cup final. And I'm going to do this preview in a slightly different format. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to get a little bit more tactical on this one, um, go into a little bit more detail in the way that I would like to see Arsenal set up. It's not what necessarily what I think Mikel Arteta is going to do in all cases, but it is what I would do if I were in charge. And I'm going to share my views and thoughts on, on, on those kind of things. And I want to hear from you guys as well in the comments. Get interactive. Why not? Uh, we did our first... Uh, fans show. We used to do some phone-in shows previously. We've slightly changed up the format to make it a little bit more user-friendly and to be able to get people from all over the world on as well. So check that out. It's on the channel. Um, you can find it if you haven't seen it already and uh, be sure to get involved with us next week. We'll be going again on Tuesday, hopefully, um, and we'll be able to uh, get as many of you guys on as possible to react to the FA Cup final, whether the result is a good one or not. Um, right, let's start off by going through the team that I would select for the FA Cup final. I'm going to share my screen with you guys, um, for those of you watching on YouTube. Before I do that, actually, I just want to say to those of you listening on the audio, I am going to, of course, go through the podcast as I always do. But um, if you are listening via the audio and you want the visuals that go with what I'm saying, then please do head over to YouTube because I think you'll find it helpful um, in terms of understanding some of the points I'm making, just because it's much easier to do, isn't it, with, with visuals at your disposal. So I'm going to share my screen um, and uh, you guys should all be able to see that. Now, I've got a new toy, um, which I'm playing with this evening. So, uh, yeah, nothing dodgy like that. It's literally a tactics board online, um, which allows me to do all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Uh, let's say a big hello, actually, before we dive into that, to some of you who are watching us live at the moment. Hello to Omar. Hello to KG Leoma. He says, don't stress um, ahead of the FA Cup final. I can't help it, my friend. I really, really can't. Um, uh, Colin says, time for these players to stand up and be counted. We don't need another Baku situation. And Danny uh, says, oi, oi, I'm not wearing pants. Lovely. <laughs> it is hot, Danny, in your defence, to be fair. Uh, scorching here in London at the moment. Right. So on the screen, you're going to see the two lineups. Now, I've picked up, I've picked my lineup, the lineup I would go with, which we're going to go through and I'm going to explain why I've made the selections I've made. Um, and then Chelsea's lineup is based on their semi-final lineup. I'm not claiming to be an expert on Chelsea. I don't know if this is indeed how they will line up. I've gone with their semi-final lineup because I think that probably give us a 
the best indication of what Frank Lampard might do. Um, I know Chelsea have been sort of fluid in their formations this season. They've played with back fours and back threes and back fives and, you know, whatever. But um, I do expect Arsenal to play with the back three that has served them so well, um, which is why... Let me start that point again. I expect Arsenal to pick the back three that has served them so well. Therefore, I think Frank Lampard will look to mirror that. We've seen him try to mirror systems uh, in some of the bigger games already. He did it against Man U in the semi-final and it worked a treat for him. So um, let's go with my starting 11. So, of course, there's not really much choice in the goalkeeping department at the moment due to Bern Leno's injury. Therefore, Emmy Martinez uh takes up the position FA Cup final goalkeeper for the Gunners. The back three for me would be Kieran Tierney at left centre-back, David Lewis in the middle and Rob Holding in the right side of the position. Again, um, not much choice. Uh, Socrates has clearly fallen out of favour. He's not somebody that Mikel Arteta considers as an option at the moment. Um, and therefore, with Mustafi being injured, it means Rob Holding plays. Now, Rob Holding's blown hot and cold, I think, since since the restart. I think there's been games where he's looked quite composed, uh, quite calm, um, very assured, uh, positionally very good. And there's been other games where he's been a complete and utter nightmare. I think uh, during the uh, Watford game where David Lewis conceded a penalty, he's taken a lot of heat for that. And I think that was slightly unfair. I think Rob Holding was the architect of that situation, which led to Lewis make the challenge, making the challenge. And unfortunately um, for uh, David Lewis, Rob Holding got away with that, I think, in, in the eyes of many. So that is my uh, defence. Left wing back, I go with Bukayo Saka. Um, and at right wing back, I go with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And I, I'm going to tell you why. Now, obviously, Hector Bellerin's in contention. We haven't heard Mikel Arteta's press conference yet. Well, I haven't um, at the time of this being recorded. So, you know, bear that in mind before crucifying me if I say something wrong. But I think that Cedric, well, I know that Cedric isn't available. Um, and I know that Bellerin's been struggling for fitness lately. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles, particularly in the big games when he's been asked to do a specific job, at wing back, he's done a very, very good job of it. He's a player that I've criticised quite often. Actually, he's a player who I've felt has not always displayed the right attitude um, and the type of attitude that's going to see him become a, a long-term fixture in this Arsenal side. There are rumblings that he wants to leave, um, etc. But um, you know, to his credit, he has got his head down. He's just got on with it and he's performed. When called upon. So Ainsley Maitland-Niles comes in at right wing back for me. Um, and one of the big factors of that is I just think the guy's got incredible recovery pace. And I think over the first few yards, there are in particular, there are very few players that are quicker than Ainsley Maitland-Niles. It's not to say he is the fastest player I've ever seen or he's extremely rapid. But what he does have is he has that initial acceleration, that initial burst, which prevents people getting away from him. In the middle of the park, it's got to be Granit Xhaka and Danny Sabas for me. It seems to be the go-to pairing at the moment. When Lucas Torreira has played of late, he's not looked like his old self. I, I don't think anybody can deny that. I think it's uh, it's been a bit of a problem for us um, with Lucas Torreira. Again, fitness has been an issue for him in and out of the team now. But I think those two in the middle of the park that I've selected, Granit Xhaka and Danny Sabayos, have done really well of late. They've obviously built a bond, uh, a partnership, and they seem to complement each other pretty well at the moment. So those are my uh, two midfielders. And then my front three, 
pretty self-explanatory. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette through the middle and Nicolas Pepe. Um, I think the reason, you know, there is an argument that you, you could make some changes there. I know people haven't always been impressed with Nicolas Pepe, but what he does for me, uh, Nicolas Pepe, and what he gives us the ability to do now uh, is quite simply this. With Nicolas Pepe, he's going to occupy this sort of area around the pitch. And it's, what that does in turn is it means that Marcus Alonso has to think twice about bombing on. And Marcus Alonso is no good in this area of the pitch. He's not good in his own defensive third. Where Marcus Alonso can do damage, and he's done damage to Arsenal many times in the past, is up and down here, up and down the flank, uh, getting up and down, putting quality deliveries into the penalty area for his teammates. That is what Marcus Alonso does. And sticking Nicolas Pepe on him uh, could nullify that a little bit. If I was Mikel Arteta, I know that he's sort of wanted Pepe and Aubameyang to drift in field a little bit more in this system, uh, clearing the paths for the wing-backs to come bombing forward. But I just think with uh, Marcus Alonso being a very specific threat on Saturday, I would look to pin him back. So I'd be instructing Nicolas Pepe to go and put himself uh, right on uh, on Alonso and stick to the touchline. Because then Chelsea don't want to have Kurt Zuma coming out here. They don't want to see their whole backline having to shift over like this to fill those gaps. That becomes a problem. That's not what Frank Lampard wants. He's trying to mirror Arsenal's system. And therefore, he's going to want to have his three centre-backs as narrow as they possibly can be when Chelsea are defending. When they have the ball, you'll see them spread out to receive possession. And you'll see Arsenal's back free do that as well. You'll probably see Holding out here at times, Tierney out here at times as well, um, you know, to to receive the ball. But the minute we lose the ball, it's all about resetting and it's all about getting back to a composed, uh, composed, a condensed shape um, and making sure that, um, you know, we're as narrow as we possibly can be and using those three defenders to defend the width of your penalty area. That is the whole point of playing that system. So that is uh, what I do in terms of the front line as well. So that is my starting lineup for this weekend's FA Cup final. Now, there's a few issues um, that I think Arsenal are going to have to contend with uh, at the weekend. And we'll talk about Arsenal going forward in a minute. But let's have a a little bit of a think about sort of some of the problems that we're going to have to contend with. And one of the big problems is a player that we know very, very well. And that is Olivier Giroud. Now, Olivier Giroud is somebody who... Divides opinion, even amongst the Chelsea fans now. There are some who uh, are still not convinced that he's good enough. There are some who uh, feel like he's immobile. Uh, but what Olivier Giroud does well is he does excellent work in terms of his build-up play. Let's just shuffle this around a little bit, get the players in sort of more like a game-like position. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean um, about Olivier Giroud and what he does so well and what we're going to have to watch out for. So if I just push the Arsenal midfield up just a little bit. Uh, there you go. Push the Chelsea one up as well. They can go head to head. There you go. Um, cool. Right. So Olivier Giroud, he he doesn't want to be in these areas. Okay. What Mikel Arteta has done really, really well with Alexander Lacazette of late is he's been calling Alexander Lacazette to almost play like a, a false nine, to drop into these spaces here and bring a centre half with him. What that does when you drop into those spaces is it brings the defence with you, right? Naturally, Rudiger's going to press. You're not going to see Chelsea sit off of Alexander Lacazette when he does that and allow him the time to 
pick up the ball, turn and face them. That is not what they're going to do. They're going to push someone up with him. And what that does is it makes the whole defensive line slightly shift up. And that creates these spaces in behind for the likes of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to then come in off the flanks into these areas and receive those direct passes that we've seen work so well of late. We saw it, didn't we, in the semi-final. We saw Kieran Tierney uh, picking out some passes. We saw him making this type of pass. Uh, I've used the wrong arrow there. Apologies. It's the first time I'm using this. Um, here it is. So we've seen Kieran Tierney play balls into these spaces. You get what I mean, that line. Um, into that channel for Aubameyang to start from a wide position and drift in field. Once Aubameyang has that, he can then do this. and he's going straight at the Chelsea goal. That is the aim of this system. It's to draw Chelsea in. It's to suck them in. It's to play our way around their press and to play the ball long into those channels. When I say long, I don't mean long, aimless hoofs. I mean, as in a, be a little bit more direct. We've seen Arsenal do that uh, in this system. And that is the aim of, of what Mikel Arteta is trying to do. He's trying to play those passes uh, into those sort of wide half spaces where You'd hope that Lacazette's movement creates the space for Pepe and Aubameyang, and then they can get in behind and try and hurt um, hurt the opposition. So I think that's what you're going to see Arsenal try and do in terms of our forward play and the way we're going to approach it. But in terms of Chelsea's, it's a very, very different proposition. Olivier Giroud isn't going to run in behind. Olivier Giroud isn't. Uh, going to want to be played in the channels. Olivier Giroud wants to receive the ball to feet and he wants to be in this area. Olivier Giroud comes alive in and around the penalty area. He's great at uh, picking out his teammates. He's great with his link-up play. He's a battering ram almost, and that poses problems for pretty much any central defender that he comes up against. And what he's going to look to do is he's going to look to receive the ball on the edge of the penalty area for Chelsea in the build-up. And he's going to hope that Willian and Mason Mount, if it is him that plays over Pulisic, will then be able to drive in and get as close to him as they possibly can and feed off of what comes from Giroud. When you play long balls to Olivier Giroud, the ball sticks. He holds the ball up. He brings other people into it and he gives you the, the opportunity to build up and get your wide men in field. In turn, what that does is it allows the likes of Marcus Alonso to then bomb forward and if they, if he wants, he's got plenty of options. This is what is so good about what Olivier Giroud does. He brings them into the game. He brings them closer. And then there are so many options because he can do this, Marcus Alonso. When he receives the ball wide, he can play a cutback to Mason Mount. He can deliver a ball into the penalty area, knowing that Olivier Giroud will turn and Olivier Giroud will attack it. And there are very, very few players in the game nowadays that are as confident and as good as Olivier Giroud at attacking a penalty area. What Olivier Giroud does so well and extremely well is attack this space. He comes in, he comes in from uh, the, the middle and he makes that diagonal run in towards the near post area and that becomes a problem. And you know that Chelsea have gotten used to that. You know that Chelsea are working it really well at the moment and you'll often see Alonso play balls into that area as a result. You'll see Willian on the other side when he gets the opportunity, a player with a wonderful delivery. Again, playing balls into those near post spaces for Olivier Giroud to get onto. So Olivier Giroud possesses a threat in, in more than one way, he gives you the ability to uh, hold the ball up and allow those players from wide to then drift in field and get up alongside him. But he also gives you the ability to hit crosses into the penalty area. And you know that more often than not, he's going to get on the end of them. 
Against Manchester City, one of the things that Arsenal did so brilliantly well was that they forced Manchester City wide all of the time. And unlike Chelsea, Manchester City never had the the threat that Olivier Giroud poses in the in the middle. And that is in terms of his physicality, his ter- in terms of his ability to make that dart and run into the near post. Not saying he's the only striker that does it, but he does it so frequently. And he's such a powerful player and he's got such a big frame that it makes it so, so difficult to deal with him in that situation. So we were happy to allow Manchester City to have the ball in uh, in these sort of areas here. Um, you know, in and around here and and know that if they did put the ball in, we would have the bodies and we would have the personnel to defend it. Again, I was talking about the narrow defence and you saw it, didn't you, against Manchester City. Ainsley Maitland-Niles was playing at left back. He was show, uh, you know, he knew that Morris was going to try and come inside and that's why it worked having a right-footed player there. But when Morris tried to go on the outside or anybody else for that matter, Arsenal always had this. They had Tierney, they had Lewis, and they had Mustafi on the day back in the penalty area, ready to defend the cross. And not only that, they had Granit Xhaka patrolling this area, right in front of the penalty area, preventing people making late runs. I know he doesn't always pick up players the way he should, but the purpose of that Granit Xhaka being there is that him and Danny Ceballos, when we are defending, when we are in that deep shape, they can patrol this area of the pitch here and prevent the loose balls falling uh, to, to the opposition players, as well as when they do receive the ball, they've both got the ability to pick out a pass, um, you know, out to the left-hand side, uh, out to the right-hand side and hit the wingers early with Lacazette again, bringing them in. And you'll see him doing that. He did it against Manchester City so successfully. You'll see Lacazette bringing the defence with him and you'll see Aubameyang from here and Pepe from here, wide, very wide starting positions, make those diagonal runs infield. If the pass is right, we can expose Chelsea that way. Um, and it's really, really important. But what Arsenal need to do is when they do win possession back, if they're going to sit and play with this low block, as we expect, they have to use it and they have to use it right. They have to be able to keep the ball for periods of time. And when the opportunity presents itself, they have to hit those wide men, those forward men as early as they possibly can. Um, That is so, so important. And that is why I've sort of constantly made the case about... um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being suited to playing in that um, in that left-hand side role because what it does is it allows him to pick up, uh, you know, to to pick up the ball in a or not to pick up the ball, sorry, to start from a wide position um, in between the centre back and the wing back in this sort of area where it's a bit of a grey area for defenders, isn't it? If you're Cesar Azpilicueta, what do you do here? If Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang gets himself in be- in between Azpilicueta and James here. Uh, sort of in this space here, it's a problem. And it's a constant problem that Azpilicueta and James have to think about. And then you're putting something into two players' minds. And two players now have to worry about what they're going to do to contest with your threat. Now, as I've said, it's that half space. It's that is so, so important because just that creating that little bit of space uh, by pulling Azpilicueta out, well, that's not what Chelsea want, is it? The whole point of playing a back three, as I keep saying, is when you lose the ball and when you're not in possession is to remain as compact as possible, to defend the width of your penalty area effectively. Having free bodies allows you to do that. But if Aspil Equator starts to drift out to Aubameyang, Lacazette can get in here. 
And, and and that's what Arsenal need to be looking to do. It's it's so methodical. And that's what I love about what Mikel Arteta has brought to this Arsenal side. We're now talking about a side who are, are working on these things, are able to find little nuances and, and tactically be prepared for games such as this and find ways of causing problems for the opposition. Um, so that's kind of the main points that I wanted to make in regards to the sort of tactical side of this game. Um, I think Lacazette's role is going to be so, so important. So, so important. And not just from an attacking point of view. We spoke about him playing like a, a false nine and the fact that he's going to need to drop into this area as often as possible to try and bring people with him, to try and create space in behind uh, for his teammates. But he's also got to cut out the the pass between the centre-backs and Jorginho or Kovacic because these two are the engine room. They're what make Chelsea tick, um, particularly Mateo Kovacic. He's a player I really like. Jorginho is a player I really, really like as well, um, but he's not always had the best time of it here in England. He's had a lot of criticism and a lot of stick um, from people sort of with regards to some of the things uh, or, or some of the performances that he's put in. I know under Maurizio Sarri, he was very much Sarri's go-to man. And a lot of Chelsea fans, well, quite frankly, they didn't like that. Um, but what what he does and what Kovacic does so well is they do receive balls from the centre-halves. They do receive the, uh, these passes. They make themselves available all the time. Even from Willy Caballero, you'll see balls going directly into Jorginho, going directly into Mateo Kovacic. The thing that Arsenal need to do here is Arsenal, it's okay um, that they're going to receive the balls. And unless you push your entire team all the way up the field and start pressing high up the pitch, which is not what I'm suggesting Arsenal do here, then they're going to get the ball. The important thing is that when they do get the ball, though, they need to be under pressure. Lacazette needs to get to Jorginho as quick as possible. Kovacic needs to get to Jorginho. Uh, sorry, Lacazette needs to get to Kovacic as well as soon as possible. Pepe needs to help out. Aubameyang needs to help out because that's the only way we're going to do that without dislodging our midfield, which has been so key in terms of that shape when we're defending. As I said, we need those two, uh, Sabayos and Xhaka, to be able to drop into those positions, into those gaps and fill in uh, in between the central defenders as well. So, Getting on to these two guys, to Jorginho and Kovacic, is key in terms of preventing Chelsea from building out. We know that Jorginho and Kovacic both have the ability to pick up the ball, to turn and to pick out passes and to cause us problems. Alonso, as I said, he'll be bombing up and down here and you wouldn't put it past Kovacic picking out a pass like that. Jorginho doing the same. Um, on the other side, whether it's for William, whether it's for Reese James, who's got forward, whether James diverts in field, and that means William is out on the right-hand side in space. These players are capable of picking out those passes. And the minute that Chelsea get into these sort of areas uh, in sort of level with our penalty spot and are able to pick out crosses for Olivier Giroud, Arsenal, in my opinion, have a problem. So it's all about stopping it at the source. It's about preventing Jorginho and Mateo Kovacic uh, from turning, from having the time to pick out passes and get Chelsea moving. That, in my opinion, is how you try and nullify Chelsea. Of course, football is a... A funny game. Lots can happen. Lots can go wrong. Lots works. Lots doesn't. Um, but in theory, that's how I would probably be approaching this game as a as an Arsenal boss. Obviously, I'm not, and I wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, but yeah, those are just my thoughts um, on that.
Let me know what you think about the comments. Do you agree with my starting lineup? Do you agree with the points I've been making in regards to how Arsenal need to deal with Chelsea, um, what we can afford to let them do and what we can't necessarily afford them uh, to let them do? Individual mistakes uh, have, have been a problem that have haunted Arsenal for a long, long time. And you hope and you pray that in an FA Cup final, that isn't going to be the case. So fingers crossed. Um, we see everybody concentrated, put in a, a good performance and keep on top of things um, from a mental perspective, because it's very, very easy to switch off for a split second. If you do, uh, Chelsea are a side with players capable of hurting you and really causing you problems. Let's go over to some of the live comments. Uh, if you've got any questions, I've got a few questions from Twitter as well. Start putting them in the chat box and I'll come to those in a couple of moments. Um, just another thing I wanted to mention was if you haven't already hit that like button, smash the like button, please, please do. And subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Uh, we're on the road to 5K subscribers on YouTube. Hopefully uh, we get there by the start of the new season. That is my aim. That is my goal. So please, please do. If you haven't already, uh, give us a subscribe. If you're watching us on Periscope, why not head over to YouTube and give the channel a like as well? Right. Let's go over to some of your live comments. Um, KG Leoma says, I would go with the same starting 11. Um, Danny also says, that is exactly what I'd pick. Uh, Zod Sinclair says, my only difference would be Nelson starts instead of Pepe. Um, what else have we got here? Um, Omar says Pulisic will rip Bellerin apart if he starts for me Ainsley Maitland-Niles has to start this one agreed uh, what else have we got um, Matt Gray big hello to Matt joined us on the uh, fan show the other day uh, check out Matt's uh, appearance on there uh, he says I agree about including Ainsley Maitland-Niles Pepe will get the most from having him um, da -da -da. Uh, what else have we got <laughs> Gunners forever we need trophy agreed we do um, it would be a massive boost, wouldn't it, at the end of what's been a pretty dreadful season from an Arsenal perspective. Uh, Stan the Man says, I wonder if Chelsea fear Pepe like Arsenal fear Pulisic. Me thinks not. Um, look, uh, Pepe on his day has proven that he can deliver, that he can produce, that he can be a threat. I agree he's not done it anywhere near regularly enough and that has been a problem up until now. Um, but I'm sure that Frank Lampard and Chelsea... Uh, will 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 be worried about Nicolas Pepe, and they'll probably be looking at how they can try and nullify Arsenal's front three as much as we've just spent time looking at those. Uh, here's a question from Nimsy Lot: Martinez or Leno to be number one for the new season? Listen, I've said this time and time again. I, I think that Martinez has surprised people with the quality of his performances since he's come in. Um, I think it's great to have a, a scenario where we've got two goalkeepers fighting for the number one spot and being really, really competitive. And so for me, until Martinez does something wrong, you've got to leave him in. Um, you've got to pick the side on merit. I think Mikel Arteta has proven that that is something he's he's a, a big fan of. It's one of his sort of non-negotiables in terms of people putting in a shift and putting in hard work and, and giving their everything. And I think both Martinez and Leno have done that. Therefore, until... Um, you know, it's unfortunate Leno's been injured, but until Martinez proves that he's not good enough to do the job, why would you take him out? I think he's been a massive boost to our defence in terms of the style of goalkeeper that he is. I think stylistically, he's my type of goalkeeper in the sense of I like goalkeepers who come and catch things, who are calm, who um, are big, have a big presence, come and collect corners and crosses, and they just take a bit of weight off the central defender's shoulders. I think one of the reasons Arsenal have been actually so poor 
from set pieces. It's not to point the finger at Berleno because it's not his style. He just isn't that type of goalkeeper. But I think the fact that our goalkeeper so often stays on the line in those situations, it's a problem. Um, it really, really is. And I think teams exploit that. Where a goalkeeper can overpower someone, come out with his fists, with his knees up in the air, like Jens Lehmann, you, you would have done. Centre-backs can't do that. So, you know, it's uh, it's um, it, it's key, I think. Uh, the style of the goalkeeper has just given us this calming sense um, when it comes to uh, dealing with most situations. Again, set pieces are still a problem for Arsenal. It's not something that the goalkeeper can solely rectify. But I do think Martinez has made us more effective as a defence overall. Um, the overlord of procrastination, he says, come on, Arsenal, we can do this. And yes, Martinez all day long for this final. We don't have a choice uh, when it comes to that. Uh, Russ Morgan says, let's end the worst season for a generation with a cup. Come on, you gunners. Um, right. Let's uh, let's uh, go over to some of your questions now. Uh, just scrolling through them. So bear with me a second. Lots of live comments coming through. Just trying to uh, pick some bits and pieces out so that we can discuss them. Uh, what have we got here? Um, Dave Atkinson makes a great point. Leno played most of his games behind the back four. Martinez has played most of his games behind the back five. Agreed. Um, and that does help, of course. No doubt about that. Um, I just think, though, I, I, feel, I still think the point stands regarding the style of the two goalkeepers. And I think it does make a real difference. Uh, True Guna says, I don't think Bellerin will start. I don't know, my friend. Um, this is, as I said right at the top, this is what I would pick. I'm not Mikel Arteta, though, so I, I can't tell you what he's going to do. Um, but that is what I would do if I were in charge. I wouldn't start Hector Bellerin, no. Given that he's not been fit as well. You know, that comes into in, in into the uh, equation as well. Uh, right, let's go over to some of your live questions or your questions that I've been receiving on Twitter uh, over the last few hours. <laughs> Zach, I love this one. How do we get Frank to pick Kepa? <laughs> I think unless somebody's going to go and track down Willy Caballero and make it difficult, should I say, or, or make him unavailable at the weekend, then uh, I think that Caballero is probably going to get the nod. He's been their FA Cup goalkeeper this season as well. Um, add to that the fact that Kepa seems to have fallen out of favour with Frank Lampard. I don't see why Willy Caballero wouldn't start um, at the weekend. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Uh, Melvin says... Are we better off being the underdogs? I think at at this moment in time, given the way we are having to play to be competitive, and when I say that, I mean sitting behind the ball, low block, back three, wing backs, deep line midfield players. I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that we are better off being the underdogs. I think what being the underdogs does is it takes the pressure of you off of you from your fans and from everybody else in regards to whether you need to take the game to the opposition. It's very easy, isn't it? Like when Mourinho would manage Man United and he parked the bus, everyone would go, why the fuck is he parking the bus? This is not our identity, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, but actually he did it because he felt that that was the best way to get results. He did it because he needed to do it to bridge the gap in quality between them and some of the other top sides. And it, this is the case here. When you are the underdogs, 
everybody knows that you're not going to go toe-to-toe with the opponent. Therefore, the pressure isn't there. The media narrative isn't there. And you can do that without the distraction and without the problem of everybody sort of getting on your case about it um, in the background. So, yeah, I think it does suit Arsenal to be the underdogs, particularly given that we're likely to be the side that um, are going to sit deeper and are probably going to allow Chelsea to have the ball in their own half. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think in this instance, it is a benefit to us. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, Russ Morgan asks, do you think the lack of a live crowd helps our players mentally? I actually do. Um, I think what it does is it takes the distraction away. You know, when Arsenal have traditionally played out from the back and we were playing out from the back against Manchester City in the semi-final at times, we were clearly trying to suck them in, trying to draw in the press and then playing our way over the top of it or around it. Um, that was the plan for Mikel Arteta. It was to draw them in and play around them. Taking those risks when there's a crowd in the stadium becomes a lot more difficult because they start to influence your decisions. They start to moan, they start to groan. And what they do is they put pressure on certain players in situations where they feel like they need to just clear it. And that's not the plan. So I do think not having fans in the stadium allows you to carry out a plan um, without worrying about the reaction and what's going on around you. And I do think that it does play a part. I know people will say they're professionals and they should put the crowd's reactions to one side, but I think that's impossible. In a stadium of 60-odd thousand people, when everybody's up in arms and everybody's uh, passionate and everybody's getting wound up, I don't think it's possible for a professional footballer to not feed off of that energy. So, yeah, I do. I do think. Uh, that it is important. Uh, what well, not important? Well, it's it's better for the for the Arsenal side, particularly at a stage where we're trying new things, we're developing. We know that there are certain players who the crowd have targeted in the past. I think it does help them playing in empty stadiums. I really, really do. Um, Zod Sinclair asks, "Do you think anyone will shoot from range uh, from the midfield of Arsenal?" I'll just go back to my sort of the, the board for a moment on this one because. What this formation is doing is it, it requires Xhaka and Sabayos to be so deep. It requires them to be available to receive the balls from from the, the centre-backs and, and whatnot. And they have to always be in that position. It's not very often that you're going to see Granit Xhaka or Danny Sabayos getting into these sort of areas. When you do, it's almost become sort of nosebleed territory for them because it's not what they're being asked to do. Look, we know Granit Xhaka has a shot on him. We know he does. Um, Danny Ceballos, not so much. We know Granit Xhaka is capable of a rocket from sort of the edge of the box. But I guess the point I would say is rather than criticising, I'm not saying you're doing that, uh, rather than criticising them for not taking enough shots, I think we need to try and understand why that is the case and um, why that is the, uh, you know, why they're not able to get in those positions as often as they possibly like. I think we could do with doing that in some of the, the games against some of the smaller opponents at times when they're sitting deep, we're unable to break them down. We're unable to get in behind them. I do think a long shot now and again uh, is a good option, um, but I'm not convinced that that we we necessarily have the players uh, to do that. Like I said, Granit Xhaka, he has it in him from time to time. Doesn't really do it often enough. Danny Sebastian, I'm not sure that's really his game necessarily. Um, right. Let's uh, pick up a couple uh, more questions just from the live chat before we round off with a prediction. Um, whoops, wrong one. Apologies. Uh, ben Turner says, how many from that 11 do you think are playing their last game for the club? Let me just bring up that 11 again 
um, so that I can answer your question as best as possible. Uh, here we go. So Martinez, no. Holding, no. Actually, I think Rob Holding. I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Holding left the club this summer. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure that Arsenal are going to get an offer that they see as sufficient. And I think that Mikel Arteta would prefer to move out Socrates first. But I think Rob Holding, given his age, is probably a more attractive proposition to those looking to purchase the centre-half. Therefore, I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Holding left this summer. So, uh, yeah, Rob Holding, um, I think he may be playing his last game for Arsenal. Uh, AZ Maitland-Niles, quite possibly. He's made no uh, qualms about the fact that he wants to go. Um, he wants to play regular football. Remains to be seen whether Mikel Arteta can still persuade him that he has a role to play and if that role is enough for him. Uh, so that's another one who could potentially be on his way. Danny Ceballos, of course, for obvious reasons, it could be his last game. It's purely because his loan deal will expire. We don't know what's going on with that yet. My preferred option would be to extend it for a further year, even if that means Arsenal paying a fee. And then we can add a, a, an obligation to buy clause at the end of next season when hopefully, fingers crossed, our finances are in a better state. Uh, so that's another one who could possibly be gone. Uh, Xhaka, no. Lacazette, no. I actually think Aubameyang is going to stay and Pepe isn't going anywhere. So from that 11, uh, I've picked one, two, three uh, that I think could potentially be playing their last games for Arsenal in response to your question. Um, right. That brings me to the end of the stream. So it would only be fair that I leave my prediction and I'm going to go with a one nil Arsenal victory. The famous old scoreline one nil to the Arsenal. Let's uh, go out there. Let's get the cup. Uh, let's put a gloss on what has been a fucking dreadful season, to be honest. Um, and fingers crossed we can uh, we can qualify for Europe, not because I'm overly excited about playing in the Europa League, but because of the financial uh, sort of benefits that that gives. And the uh, I'm not going to say it makes us a more attractive proposition to players, because I don't think it really does, to be honest. Uh, but like I said, we know the budget's going to be tight. And it's not just Arsenal being stingy this time. You know, the, the budgets are going to be tight everywhere because of what's happened in the last few months. So it's totally understandable this time around. Um, and therefore, um, you know, I think winning this and, and getting that European money is imperative uh, to Arsenal's rebuild this summer. So 1-0 to the Arsenal for me. Leave your uh, predictions in the comments section if you're watching this back later. And uh, if you're listening uh, via the audio, don't forget to leave us a review. Hopefully... This is me on Saturday night. Where is it? Here we go. Dig it out from somewhere. Here we go. My blow up FA Cup. Come on, you gunners. Until next time, take care. We're going to be back tomorrow with a, uh, a transfer video. Uh, we're going to be looking at some of the latest transfer stories involving Arsenal Football Club. So until then, take care of yourselves. And uh, if, I, if you don't tune in to the transfer video, have a great weekend. Until then, take care. Ciao.